Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. Are you excited about being here? Yes, I'm excited about being here today, especially because we're starting this brand new series. Uh, and uh, if you're here for the very first time, I'm excited that you picked today as the day to come because this series, I think, is going to have something to say to you. I think it says something to all of us because it's called Hot Mess. Anybody can feel that? Uh, you've had a hot mess? Uh, this could especially be helpful for those of us who are Tar Heel fans this morning and uh, experiencing the hot mess of this season. And uh, I, I almost fired Lance in my mind this morning as Lance was wearing his Duke tie. And um, yeah, Monday morning Lance will be fired for like, you know, five minutes and then we'll get on with it. I'm happy for all of you Duke fans. I had the joy last year. You, you got the joy this year. Now, I don't care about, uh, I don't know about you. I do care about you. But uh, I, I certainly can relate to this phrase, hot mess. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, this is what the culture likes to say when, you know, things just aren't going well. It's out of control and you don't know what you're going to do. Have you ever had one of those days? Anybody here had one of those days? Maybe you, maybe you heard about the bricklayer who had a hot mess kind of day. Uh, on the insurance report that he had to fill out, he had to explain what happened. Some of you have heard this before. Others haven't. But he writes, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three, of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later were found to weigh 240 pounds. Uh, Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley system, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up on the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. And then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of brick. Now, you will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135 pounds. He's not an engineer, okay? He's a bricklayer. And due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building and in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 Accident Reporting Form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now ex 
beginning to experience. And at approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I'll refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began to, a rapid descent down the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. And this accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations on my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. I'd say our bricklayer friend was a hot mess that day. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, and that phrase could be attached to any number of things in our lives. And it's important to not just name things that seem chaotic, but that we learn from Scripture how we can respond to those things. The reality is all of us at some point know what it means to be in a hot mess. Now, most of you know that Christy and I sold our house uh, fairly recently. We're now living in an apartment with two big dogs. Uh, we used to be able to just let the dogs out the back. You know, we had a fenced-in backyard, just let them out. But now we got to walk them out every time they go. And during our move, we needed some dog food, and Christy wanted me to get a harness because the dogs were yanking her around, and she thought the harness would give her more stability with them. And uh, we normally go to a, get a certain dog food from Tractor Supply, but I went to PetSmart that day to get the harness, and I thought to myself, you know, guys, let's be careful when we ever think to ourselves, okay? <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, it is a long way over from here to Tractor Supply and then back home. I'm just going to get some dog food from here. Well, I created a hot mess. Because if you talk to dog people, and our resident veterinarian explained this to me, uh, within a couple of days, both dogs were having, let's just say, some digestive issues, okay? And Christy came home on Monday to a hot mess all over the floor. And for a couple of days, the dogs were really struggling. Now, luckily for me, I had meetings every one of those days. It, it, if you ever say, when is a good time to have a three-hour elders meeting? That's the day. That's the day. By the time uh, I was the first one to get home, the problem had subsided. Thank you, God. Uh, now, Christy did not appreciate that fact that I wasn't cleaning up my share of the surprises. I guess maybe because I was the reason for the hot mess. Um, but maybe you can relate to things like that. And the good news today is that every family is messy. And it's been that way ever since the beginning of time. So during the next four weeks, we're going to be hitting on four key areas of life and learn what the Bible says our response should be to a chaotic reality in each of those. 
And to begin with, I want us to focus on what is arguably the most important area of our life, and that is our family. You know, our families are the most important people in our lives. We live with them, we love them, we go through a lot of things with them. And the big idea today is that we need to allow God to be the core of our family. And when we do, we can get through any mess. And I do believe that that's true. Whatever hot mess comes your way, God can help you get through it if you keep that in mind. So let's go to God in prayer. God, first of all, thank you for our families. Um, we, we know that every one of our families are made up of imperfect people, but you have given us to one another. And we can be a blessing instead of a curse. And that's what you want us to be. So please help us to trust in you, to love, and to forgive as we grow in our understanding of how to live in love like you would. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to introduce you to a family from the Old Testament today. Uh, one of the first families that we learn about. The family was known in part because of their great faith. However, that faith did not come without some struggles as well. And as you can see, as we go through the Old Testament history of that family, what a hot mess that family truly was. I mean, Jerry Springer has nothing on these people. Now, starting with Abraham and ending with Joseph, I want us to learn a few things from the patriarchs in Genesis. And if you have your Bible with you, you can open that up to Genesis 15. If you'd rather just read along on the screen behind me, that would be fine. But the first thing we learn is that when dealing with a hot mess, we need to trust God even when it doesn't make sense to trust God. At this point in the story, we know Abraham had communicated with God numerous times. Abraham was a man apart in his culture, most people worshiped many different gods, but he was one who believed that there was one true God, and he had faith in that. And God gave him promises that he would have offspring that would be so numerous that they couldn't be counted, and, and he got promises that his offspring would be a blessing to the entire world. Now, keep in mind that when God first made these promises, Abraham had no heirs of his own. He was going to leave everything he owned to some distant relative. And so in chapter 15 of Genesis, as we read verse 4, we read God speaking to him. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God is promising Abraham that he will have a son with his wife, Sarah. Now that's truly a monumental promise considering the circumstances. Abraham was concerned because he and his wife were getting on up there in age. Now, listen, if, if you are 65 to 75, I want to apologize if you're offended by that comment, okay? But I don't think you would be expecting to have a child at your age. Am I right about that? Um, 
So Abraham was 75 years old when God made that promise. And his wife Sarah was 65. How could they have children at that point? But how many of you know that even when it doesn't make sense, God comes through? We see this time after time. Maybe you know that to be true in your own life. You've got examples in your past of God's faithfulness. The question that must be asked today is simple. What promises is God speaking over your life? Maybe you can't hear the audible voice of God speaking these, but I believe that if you were to spend time prayerfully looking at your life on a daily basis, you would experience God's blessings everywhere you turn. And often, God promises and reminds us to to be looking for these blessings that God has ready for us, even when they don't make sense. So that story goes on as God makes this promise and uh, to not only Abraham, but to Sarah herself. Over time, Sarah sort of gave up on the promise. I mean, it didn't happen right away. I mean, they were already old, and it's taken time. And so she provided, and this sounds crazy to us, but in that culture, it wasn't that crazy. It was something that was fairly normal. She provided her servant to be a surrogate, so that Abraham could have a son. She thought she was too old. She asked Abraham to have a child through Hagar, her servant, and Ishmael was his firstborn son. But that was not the son of promise. That's not the one God was saying. He was saying, you're going to have a child with Sarah. So in Genesis 18, beginning in verse 9, we read, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him, and there, there in the tent he said, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Now, I'll tell you, this is about 24 years after the original promise, okay? Keep that in mind. Um... Abraham, okay, and so in verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? We know why she laughed, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah couldn't believe it. She laughed at the thought of that. And as we think about it, we probably would too. But sure enough, God came through. Isaac, their son, would be born a year later and would carry on the patriarchal promise that was made to Abraham. Now, can you imagine the scenes prior to Isaac's birth? Uh, do, Do you start preparing for the birth of a child when you're her age or Were were you hearing things from God that just weren't true? Do you trust God enough to get ready? Valley question, all things considered. It had to be a hot mess around that family, but then God did what he does best. 
and he fulfilled his promise. And it would prove to be a hot mess with Ishmael and Isaac, but God worked through that. Abraham and Sarah learned to do one of the toughest things we're called to do in life. Trust God even when it doesn't make any sense. Even when the numbers don't add up. Even when you can't figure out in your mind how everything's going to come out. Years ago, I went to England on a missions trip, and um, I was a student at the time, so I was supposed to come back and go back to Roanoke Bible College or Mackey. My friend Scott Taylor is the one that made the plans and the reservations and, and everything, and I wasn't, I just, look, I was just dumb, okay, that's all I was, I was dumb and I didn't think about things. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about getting back in time for school, I was just there you know, on this missions trip, and Scott set up the arrangements with the return flight, but I didn't know it at the time, but the return flight was after school had already started. And so I got a phone call while I was in Scotland, and they're saying, you got to get back. And I'm like, I don't have money for a plane ticket. And the president of the college bought a ticket for me, and uh, they got me back to school. And now all the money that I had in my life was tied up in that trip. I wasn't even thinking about the money I would need for school. And now I have to pay the president of the college back for this airline ticket. I owed $350 upon my return for the school. Now that seemed like nothing. That, nothing compared to today's prices of a school now, right? Uh, now, but my mom didn't have that kind of money. I didn't have that kind of money, but I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you again, honestly, I don't remember worrying about it. You know, maybe I was just that dumb, but I just, I just knew it would work out. And when I went to my mailbox after having this meeting that, you know, I owed all this money, there was a check from a church for $350. Now, that was a church we had gone to to raise funds for the missions trip. And they didn't get the money to me in time before I left. So that check was waiting there. It was there the whole time. I had no clue, but God knew. It didn't make any sense how that was going to work, but God made sense of it. Um, there, oh, my goodness. I, I, turn off the notifications, people. Turn off the notifications. In the scenario I just shared, that there was no other option. I mean, either God was going to do something or, I, you know, I don't know what they do at, at school, you know. T tie me up, throw me away, I don't know. But the world was inviting me to worry and to be anxious and forget about God's promises and faithfulness. But I decided God's track record was pr pretty flawless in my life. And if he hadn't failed me before, I, I could believe that he wouldn't fail me then. What about you and your family? Maybe God has been trying to strengthen your faith and your reliance on him by putting you in a position that seems like a hot mess. Sometimes we're going through those hot messes and God allows them so that we will humble ourselves and look to him and seek him. And it may seem chaotic, it feels wrong, and yet God is going to use it to not only produce what he plans to give, but also something important within you and your family. He is calling you to trust him deeper. 
So friend, whatever hot mess you're going through, I would encourage you to trust in God. Turn to him, go to him, get deeper in your faith with him. Because I'm going to tell you, as smart as we all think we are, we can't figure it all out. But God has it all figured out. Now the story doesn't stop with Abraham. He had a son named Isaac. And I think that hot mess got translated over into Isaac's life. And as we read about Isaac and his situation, we discover that he had some hot messes too. And what we learn from him is that we have to be careful, especially in our families, that we pour out love equally. So that hot mess became even more of a mess for Isaac. He married a woman named Rebecca. They had two sons. They were twins, Esau, who was born first, and Jacob. And based on what we know uh, to be true in the Old Testament era, Esau, because he was born first, was the rightful owner of the birthright. But here's where it got a little messy. Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, wanted Jacob to have the birthright. And so Esau, Esau wasn't the smartest guy on the block, okay? Esau comes in from a hunting trip, and he's all tired and famished. And his brother Jacob's been cooking some stew, and he begs Jacob for some stew. And Jacob says, well, if you give me your birthright, you can have some stew. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Again, Esau, you know, not the brightest uh, block there. He made Esau swear to sell all his rights as the firstborn child in exchange for a meal. Jacob did all this without Isaac even knowing about it. And so how would that all turn out? So we go to Genesis 27. Now we're going to read all of this, but by this time Isaac has grown old and his eyesight is terrible. And as we get into the story, you'll see what I mean. And it was time for him to give his blessing to his oldest son. Now, the birthright now belonged to Jacob. The only thing left to Esau was his father's blessing. And if you know anything about that culture, you know this was like the, the most important thing that the oldest son could get. So Jacob's mother, Rebekah, again came up with a scheme. While Esau was out hunting, and what he would do is he would go hunting, he would find some game, he would kill it, he would then prepare it, then he would cook a stew, and he would bring it to his father, and his father would give him a blessing. So while Esau is out doing all the work, Rebekah prepares a meal. And Jacob now was different than his brother Esau. Esau was a very hairy man. Now, I don't mean to be offensive to any guys here, but if you're this hairy, I don't know, you might need to get some medication or something, but they took goat skin and put on Jacob on his hands so that when Isaac felt his hands, he would believe that that was Esau. Now, you got to be a hairy guy to be like goat skin on the hand. That, that's a little crazy. And they put Esau's clothes on Jacob to fool Isaac. And so Jacob goes in with the food, and he pretends to be Esau. And 
as Isaac is like, you know, you sound like Jacob. He, he's, he can't see him. And so he touches and he feels his hands and he believes it. And he gives his blessing to Jacob rather than Esau. Now you can imagine that when Esau comes in with his bowl of soup for daddy to get his blessing, things ain't going to be what they were, right? He was really upset. And it would create a rift that would last for many, many, many years. What a hot mess. Now you can imagine the anger that Esau had toward his brother for stealing his birthright and blessing from their father. And in that story you have a parent conspiring against one of her sons because she played favorites. There's a verse that says it all in verse 28. Of chapter 25. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What's going on in this family? The mama has a favorite, and the daddy has a favorite. And this is bound to create problems. Now, I'm not here to try to tell you how to parent your children. However, I am here to give you a glimpse into the lives of two parents who decided to have favorites amongst their children, and it turns out into a, quite a mess. So what should our response be? I think Jesus shed some light on this answer in John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 12, we read, My command is this, Love each other, as I have loved you, greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus models for us how to love others well. And I would say to you, friends, that this, is, this includes our family as well. No matter what title or relationship it is, we need to love that person as Jesus loves that person and as Jesus loves us. He says the most effective way to love is as he loves. And how is it that he loves? Well, could we say, and you tell me yes or no, uh, does he love unconditionally? Does he love equally? Does he love sacrificially? Yes. So maybe you're here today and, and you come from a family where this type of love isn't or wasn't present. And I'm here to let you know from personal experience that this is the type of love that God has for all of his children. He loves unconditionally. He loves equally. He loves sacrificially. Now maybe you experience uh, this firsthand from your parents growing up. And maybe that was the first glimpse of this kind of love that you had. Now, Having a mother who took care of us and worked hard to provide a home for us. Yes, there was discipline, but that discipline was out of love. She was a single mom doing the best that she could. You know, I thought gizzards and rice were a delicacy. <laughs> I, I still think it's a great meal. How many Sundays did, did we come home from church and we'd eat gizzards and rice and watch a John Wayne movie. And I thought, man, that was heaven, you know. 
I had no idea we were poor. But those were good times. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize we didn't have much because we had unconditional, sacrificial, and equal love. And that type of sacrificial love requires time and dedication. It invites us to lay aside our own desires to sacrifice for others. And it teaches us to love our family and our friends and our co-workers. And yes, even strangers because of who they are, not because of what they do. That's the difference between that kind of love. It's not about what you do, it's because who you are. And if you're desiring insight into who God loves or who can be a recipient of it, here we go, John 3.16, we all know this. For God so loved who? The world. That He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So our love should be poured out to all people equally, especially those who are closest to us, our family. So, for God so loved the whole world. And while it might be uh, impossible for us to accomplish the same thing in our lifetime, we can extend love and compassion to everyone that God brings into our lives. However, there is one more progression in this patriarchal family that I want us to look at today. And that last piece of the message is Joseph. And many of you know the story of Joseph. From Joseph we learn to deal with our hot messes, we must forgive one another. And I'm sure that if you've been in a family very long, you, or a spouse, or parents, or children, or siblings, you understand the need for forgiveness. Now, Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. And at one point in the story, Joseph has a series of dreams in which his, his brothers bow down to him and then eventually a dream where his father even bowed down to him. And essentially, those dreams in the, the family's mind were elevating Joseph up above, above everyone else, like he was this arrogant person. And they were not a huge fan of Joseph. And that family, once again, seems like a hot mess because it, it built and built and built. And again, this is a story of favoritism because Jacob preferred Joseph over all the other brothers. And he showed it by giving him a coat of many colors that no one else received. Now, in Genesis 37, 23, we read, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and, lay our, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So 
I'd say that that was a terrible crime against Joseph. Sure enough, Joseph finds himself sold into slavery on his way to Egypt. But if you know the story, you know that God's hand was with Joseph. Through the numerous setbacks he experienced in Egypt, we don't have time to go through all of them, but everywhere he lands, God helps him find favor with those who controlled his well-being and eventually would lead him to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And Pharaoh, because of the circumstances, and you read the whole story, but elevates him to be second in command over all of Egypt, a role that puts him in charge of distributing food as a famine hits. His power and authority and responsibility became enormous compared to where he came from. But even after all those years, one day his brothers show up in need of food because the famine has hit their home too. And he has to decide, how is he going to handle this? Um, will he take revenge? Will he, you know, get some payback now that they're bowing down before him? His dream fulfilled right in front of him. How would we respond in that situation? If somebody was put in a position where, you know, they had something coming and you had the chance to give it to them. Maybe a crucial question for us is, how would we respond in that type of situation all those years later? But let's see what happened with Joseph. In Genesis 50, after all has been revealed to his brothers, the father sent a, a, a letter or some instructions with them. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. When they understood Joseph's newfound power in Egypt, he could do anything he wanted. They're begging for mercy and forgiveness. And, you know, today you and I could probably agree that forgiveness is a really hard thing sometimes. Anybody know that to be true? I mean, when somebody's hurt you and somebody's done something that, you know, it's, it's I mean, they just didn't seem to care whether you made it or not. Whether we're talking about our family members or complete strangers, forgiveness isn't easy. But it can change our lives I read about a woman named Shannon Etheridge. Some of you may know her name, but when she was 16 years old, an act of forgiveness and love changed her life forever. She was driving to school one day, and she ran over a woman, Marjorie Jarstfar, a woman who was riding her bicycle along a country road. Marjorie died as a result, and Shannon was just devastated. She was found completely at fault by the authorities and she was consumed with intense guilt. She contemplated suicide several times. But she never took her life because of the healing response of one man. And that was Marjorie's husband, Gary. 
Gary forgave the 16-year-old and asked the attorney to drop all the charges against her, saying, uh, saving her from probable guilty verdict. And instead, he simply asked that Shannon continue on in the godly footsteps that his wife had taken. He said, you can't let this ruin your life. God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. And Gary's act of forgiveness showed Etheridge the amazing love of God. And today, many of you ladies may know her name because she's the best-selling author of every girl's battle and every woman's battle and her most recent book, Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And all of these books help women overcome guilt-ridden wounds in their lives. Forgiveness changed Shannon's life, and it set her on the course of helping many other people to change their lives as well. She also had to forgive herself. Wasn't just him forgiving her, but it was her forgiving herself. And sometimes have you found that that may be the hardest thing to do? Joseph was a man of God, and his actions teach us that forgiveness is a key to a healthy family relationship, even if it doesn't feel great at the moment. And in Genesis 50, we go back to that, beginning in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I, uh, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Think about that. Joseph didn't take his opportunity for revenge. He saw all of that hot mess he had to go through as God putting him in just the right place to bless many people and save many lives and actually to save the lives of his entire family and to keep the promise of God to Abraham alive as well. When we really think about it, I would assume this type of view of our family is one that we all would share. We desire to help when they're in need. We want to see them succeed. We want to love them the very best we can. And the Bible reminds us time and time again about that forgiveness and how integral a part of our relationships it truly is. So if you're having trouble forgiving, friend, just remember, you want God to forgive you one day, right? We all want God to forgive us. And if we really mess up, we really want other people to forgive us. So if that's our desire, we don't need to withhold forgiveness to others. If you want forgiveness, you need to forgive them. You may also need their forgiveness. Problems in relationships usually involve two imperfect people treating each other imperfectly. Husbands and wives, you know what I'm talking about? We're never perfect. Maybe you can learn to humble yourself with these nine simple words. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. 
and saying them without the expectation of hearing them in return, but saying them genuinely. And when we do, that can sort of help to clean up a hot mess. I hope you've seen today that our families, whether we like it or not, will at times have a hot mess. There will be chaos, there will be storms, there will be frustration. But the Bible has given us keys to respond well in those situations and those seasons. We are to trust God and love others unconditionally, and equally, and sacrificially. And we need to learn to forgive. The ball is in our court in each of those situations. It's not about how the other people respond. It's about how I respond. Because I am responsible to God for me. I am not responsible to God for them. You hear what I'm saying? So will we choose to pour out our love equally among our children? Will we collectively as a family unit trust God when it doesn't even make sense? Or are we willing to show forgiveness to those who have hurt us even within our home? These are key moments and opportunities within our families, to grow and mature in the kinds of relationships God wants for us. We've got to engage and trust Him if we want to move from chaos to peace. So the question for all of us today is, will you trust God with your family? Father God, we, we often make a hot mess of our family life. Maybe it's because of our selfishness. We want what we want. We don't care what anybody else wants. We've got to have our way. Maybe it's the desire to be the favorite. Maybe it's a spirit of unforgiveness, holding on to harsh words and looking for an opportunity for vengeance. But your word is clear. Father, help us to trust you through whatever hot mess we may be going through. Help us to love unconditionally and equally and sacrificially and help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. And Father, I bring all of our collective hot messes to you this morning and I ask you for healing for every family that is here, for strength, and for encouragement. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.